We love and appreciate all that you've done here. So uh, we are in a sermon series on holiness, and we've been looking at our whole life. See, Jesus calls his followers to be holy just as I am holy. Now, that can sound very, very intimidating because if I look at my life, honestly, there are parts of my life where I don't always feel very holy. (laughs) And so when Jesus is talking about being holy, it's not this idea of being self-righteous and looking like you're better than everybody, but it's that understanding that because of what Jesus has done in the family of God by dying by rising from the dead, by returning to heaven, by sending the Holy Spirit to empower and equip the church. Holiness means you are different. Just as Jesus is different from the entire world, you and I as followers of Jesus are called to be different. We are set apart We are supposed to be living a radically different way. And so this pursuit of holiness should impact every single part of our lives. It affects our spiritual life. It affects our physical lives. It affects our emotional lives. It affects our jobs. And today we're going to talk about how it affects our relationships. I was watching this um, business leader and uh, motivational speaker, and he said this in one of his talks recently. He said, show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. Now, I'm not going to share this man's name, because the guy swears like a drunken sailor. <laughs> and, I, and I connect with that. That's just my sin issue, maybe. And so I don't want anyone saying, well, Pastor Kevin recommended this guy, so Google the quote yourself. I'm not recommending it. I just connect with this guy's teaching, okay? But show me your friends, and I will show you your future. How many of you as parents, moms, have ever said that to your kid or something like that? Why are you hanging out with that deadbeat? That person's going to ruin your life. Right? That person is no good for you. Right? Now, I'm going to set some ground rules right away before we dive into today's text and in today's message. Today's message is not about the people that you hang out with. This is not like, oh, great, I can't wait. This is going to be a message so I can have all this ammunition and I can throw the Bible at all these toxic people in my life. No. Today's message is about what kind of friend are you? What kind of parent are you? What kind of coworker are you? Because if you, follower of Jesus, are called to be holy, called to be set apart, called to look different, are you different than all the other people around the people that you're around? Around all the people you're around. I think that made sense. Okay. Are you different. That's what we're going to talk about today. Again, we're in this series called Holiness. Again, the the title of it, Holiness, it's a pun because we're looking at our whole lives and we want to look at different aspects of how Jesus calls us to be holy. My verse for this year, I've shared this several times already this year. Every year I try to pick a verse that I pray through and I kind of make my theme for the year. Uh, The theme for this year is 1 Thessalonians 5.23 
where Paul writes to the church, says, may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, God is doing a work in every single part of our lives. And we got to be open to what God wants to do in our spirits, in our souls, in our bodies, because it has an impact around us. And so today, as we talk about relationships, again, not other people talking about you. I want you to do some heart work this morning. And the big idea that I want to give you the big idea right away before I read the text. The big idea is this. See, relationships in the family of God are crucial in our holiness journey. Relationships in the family of God are crucial in our holiness journey. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You show me the people that you are hanging out with, and I can pretty much guess, after pastoring for 20 years, how you're going to turn out. You show me your involvement. You show me your engagement. You show me how you are living. I've been doing this long enough to know who's going to stick, who's going to fall away, who's going to struggle, who's going to hurt, and it hurts. When you can see it coming. So I want us to look at us. How am I doing? What kind of person am I? Because then God wants to use us in all these other relationships around us. So what we're going to do today, if you have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you to open up to Numbers chapter 12. If you're new to the Bible, you're not too sure where that is. It's right near the beginning of the Bible. It's in the first five books of the Bible. We got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Um, And honestly, this is not a passage I've ever preached on. I don't know why, because it's a great passage. But I was kind of going through it and studying it and praying about it and meditating on it. Like, man, this is like some good stuff here. We could do like a whole sermon series on Numbers chapter 12. I want to give just a little bit of context of where we are in the history of the Hebrew people. Uh, to really grasp what I think God wants to say to us through this text, right? The book of Numbers um, is about Israel's 40-year journey through the wilderness towards Canaan, like on their journey to the promised land. Again, the way God was working in the people of Israel, they were enslaved in Egypt. God raises up Moses to set the Israelites free to go before Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, to say, release the slaves so they can go off to the land that I promised them. He promised this land to Abraham generations beforehand. Now God is about to fulfill this promise and he's sending them. He's finally bringing them to this land that was promised to Abraham. Right? And Numbers, this book in your Old Testament, it focuses on God's provision to the Hebrew people. Right? In this process, um, there's also uh, records detailed laws in order to create a society that reflects God's justice and reflects God's character. Again, one of the things I think we forget as like modern day Christians who've had the Bible for like thousands of years, when these people left Egypt, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't, and I know you're looking at me like, yeah, duh, we know that. No, 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 but you don't, not only did they just not have a Bible, 
They had no true identity in who they were as the people of God. They've been in Egypt for generations. And the way it worked is when you would conquer someone, and we've seen this already in this series, is they would indoctrinate you into their lifestyle. So the people of Israel are dealing with the Egyptian gods, the Egyptian cultures, all the different things about Egyptian life. And then they are set free and they're sent outside of that life and outside of that influence. No more Egyptian gods, no more Egyptian comfort, no more Egyptian food, no more Egyptian government, all of these things. And God has got to remake them his. That's the point of the law. That's the point of all of these commandments that God is giving. He's creating a brand new society. He's creating men, women, boys, and girls who look different than the rest of the world. He is setting them apart. He is sanctifying them. He is making them holy. They are to look different than everybody. So their commands are weird. And if you've ever gone through and studied the Bible... This stuff makes no sense sometimes. Like I actually remember, for those of you who know my story, I've shared this many times. I didn't grow up as a Christian. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Like we had a church influence, but that's about it. And I actually, as a teenager and as a young adult, walked away from all of this. I thought church was dumb. I thought church was for dumb people to just get their money and to control them. I thought it was for people who needed a crutch who couldn't just make it on their own. And so I bought a Bible in my arrogance and pride to disprove the existence of God. (laughs) And I started to read it. Like I'd read any book. You start on page one and you work your way through it. You start in Genesis. Okay, there's a lot of things that are familiar in here. You get to Exodus. Okay, there's a lot of stuff that's familiar in here. You get to Leviticus and you're talking about like food laws and skin diseases and women issues and all this kind of stuff and cooking goats and mother's milk. And it's like, what is this stuff? It doesn't make any sense. What you need to know is God is making people who are very, very different than everybody else around them. He's calling them to a different life. And that's what numbers reminds us about. This society that's reflective of God's holiness and of God's justice. And built into God's holiness and justice is the value of relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with one another as the family of God. As God's chosen people, they are to treat one another very, very differently than all the other cultures treat each other. That's the context of what we're going to read here. Okay, that was a big introduction, I realize. But now let's just read um, Numbers chapter 12, and I'm going to start reading in verse 1. I'm going to read 16 verses here. So So it says here in verse 1, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses. Now, Miriam and Aaron, I'll explain in a moment, but they are Moses' older siblings. 
Okay? They began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, Come out of the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out, and then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when the two of them stepped forward, he said, Listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him, I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow. Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask that you do not hold against us the sin that we have so, so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like the stillborn infant coming from its mother's wound with his flesh half eaten away. And so Moses cried out to the Lord, please, God, heal her. And the Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. And so Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move until she was brought back. Then after that, the people left Hazaroth and encamped in the desert of Paran. Now, this is a weird text. Happy Mother's Day. I love when I pick these great texts and I plan out my sermon series months in advance and then they fall on these holidays and I just got to trust the Lord with this. <laughs> okay. This is a response to how leaders in the people of God treat each other. This is a response of God among his people. Again, who he has called to be different. It's God's response to not treating your relationships well. Now, again, if you're not familiar with these people, just for, again, for a little bit of context, right? It's the, the text here starts with Miriam and Aaron, right? These are Moses' older siblings, like I shared, Miriam is the oldest. Right? Miriam is the one that we first read about in Exodus. She is the one who saved Moses' life. She is the one who took baby Moses when Pharaoh's soldiers were killing all of the firstborn uh, children in Egypt to kind of do some population control. And she's the one who put Moses into the river so that he could be spared and saved. In Exodus 15, we actually read that Miriam um, is, is called a prophetess. 
And she leads the victory celebration after God destroys the army of Egypt. When the Israelites were, were, were fleeing Egypt, God parts the Red Sea. They walk across the sea, the dry ground, and then the armies of Egypt come, and then God closes the water. And it is the prophetess, Miriam, who leads in the celebration. Okay? She's given a, an incredibly high honor in the Old Testament to even be called a prophetess. So that's who she is, a person of great honor. And then you have Aaron, who's Moses' brother. And, Mo- and Aaron was used greatly by God during the Exodus. Right? He too is called a prophet of God. He also becomes the high priest of Israel. He's the guy, when the burning bush showed up to Moses, and God wants Moses to do this incredible work, Moses says no. I can't do it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not educated. I don't have the right vocabulary. I'm not a man of speech, he says. So God says, fine, I'll use your brother. He will be your prophet. You know, in the Charlton Heston movie of the Ten Commandments, that's how most of us remember this text. Aaron doesn't get a lot of play in the movie. Charlton Heston got all the credit. Aaron was huge. In the Exodus, he is huge as the high priest of Israel in bringing in the sacrificial system of how they are dealing and atoning from their sin as a people of God. Again, who are different than everybody else. So here we have Aaron and Miriam. Okay, these great leaders, these prophets. And now earlier... In the book of Numbers, we do hear of the grumbling of the people of Israel. And we talk about that a lot, right? Because we're used to just people around us grumbling, <laughs> right? And, we're, and it's a great analogy, you know, it's a great sermon. Not, I never have to do this here because we're an amazing church. But I never have to preach a sermon about the grumbling of the people of Israel and contrast that to Greenbelt, Okay, but it's a great passage. It's a great way to do that when you kind of go, oh, my church is really complaining a lot. Just grab the passage, you know, about the people of Israel grumbling. But we hear this and and that's just human nature, because, again, these people of Israel, they were immersed in Egyptian culture. Even though they were slaves, they ate. They were cared for. Sure, there were some seasons where it was getting pretty bad and they were being pushed down and oppressed. But they were provided for in their oppression. But then suddenly all that's taken away and they have now what they think is nothing. What they actually have is the full presence of the glory of God. And they think that's nothing. I'd rather have Egyptian food than the full presence and glory of God right here with me. (laughs) And so they grumble about going back. And we read about that in the early parts of Numbers. But now what we see is a shift, not from the crowd, not from the people, but suddenly family and leaders are complaining. Family and leaders are now rising up and complaining about Moses. And it's interesting what they pick 
to be the complaint. They don't complain. They're not complaining about being in the desert. They're not complaining about the lack of food. They're not complaining about the things that the other people are complaining about. They're complaining about Moses's wife. Okay? They're, called, they're, they're saying she is from Cush. Now, people might go, wait a minute, I thought Zipporah was from Midian. Cush is actually a term that's used for that entire region. And so Cush is a place, Midian is a place, but that entire region can be known as Cush. So it's not necessarily that Moses has multiple wives. Maybe he did, we don't know. But either way, they're complaining about his wife. They're complaining and talking smack about his wife. And that's what they're using as the basis to complain against him. Now, again, remember the big idea. Relationships in the family of God are crucial in our holiness journey. What we see here in Numbers chapter 12 is a breakdown in the relationship of the family. We see a breakdown in the relationship of Moses' family. We see a breakdown in the relationship of the family of God. And when you and I are used by our spiritual enemy to break down the family of God, of course it will impact our holiness journey. Because you and I are called to be different in our relationships. So let's look at three things here from the text. And if you want to write these down so you could talk about them in your life group, I'd encourage you to do so. So the first thing that I want us to look at is what we see Miriam and Aaron do is talking against the family. Right? Verse one starts again with this comment complaining about Moses because of his wife. They're complaining that she's not one of us. Like they're highlighting her nationality. They're highlight, highlighting the fact that she's not a Hebrew. And they're judging Moses for that. Well, look at his wife. She's not a good people of God like we are. She's not Hebrew like we are, right? And what's hilarious about this complaint that they are bringing against Moses's wife, it goes directly against the commandments about relationships that they just received. Like in Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 to 34, again, it says this, when an alien lives with you in your land... So someone who's not from your people, do not mistreat him. The stranger who lives as a foreigner with you shall be to you as the native born among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. I, Yahweh, your God. Like this is brand new. Like the ink isn't even dry yet. Or if they didn't have ink, there's still like chips in the, in the tablet. Okay. Like this, like it's brand spanking new. They just got this right. Treat people, not of your nation, like they're your nation. Like that was the promise of God to Abraham. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to everybody. That's God's heart. This is brand new. And right away, the leaders are breaking it. The leaders are breaking it. The prophets are breaking it. 
Why? Because there's just something in us that don't like people who aren't like us. Exodus chapter 22, verse 21 says, Do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you were aliens in Egypt. Again, this is brand new. This law that they have just received. And the leaders, the prophets in the community of God, we see a breakdown in their pursuit of holiness because of how they are treating the outsider. This has not changed God's call to the outsider. In fact, it's crucial in the ministry of Jesus. Like, We see this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where it says, So in everything, do to others what you would would have them do to you. You know that whole golden rule thing? How you are treating other people? Treat them the way you want to be treated. And the others here in the Greek that Matthew uses is not just people like you. Not just people like me. It's everybody around us. Right? This sums up the law and the prophets. Right? Talking against the family will stunt your holiness journey. How do I know that? Because it stunts my holiness journey when I talk against the family of God. When I complain about the pastor down the road or the sermon I saw online, or the social media post, and I get all, nye, 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 nye. I'm going to go on Twitter. And nye, 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 nye. <laughs> okay, stop it. Knock it off, myself included. What kind of Christian do you want to be? Now, yes, you're going to sit there and you're going to send me emails tomorrow and say, yeah, but I have to defend truth and I got to speak against all of that. And I believe in truth and I, and I believe in defending truth. <laughs> but <laughs> I firmly believe we do it in a posture of humility and love and care. And there is no commandment that tells us to talk smack about a brother or sister in the Lord. Talking against your family will hinder your spiritual journey. So how do you talk about other people whom God has accepted? God accepted Moses' wife. God gave clear commandment to his people to accept Moses' wife. <laughs> How do you and I speak to people that God has accepted? This break in relationship can have a huge impact on our spiritual growth. So we've got to be mindful of that, talking against the family. The second thing that I see that we can see from this text is comparison in the family. I think nothing, I mean, talking smack about people God has accepted will stunt our spiritual growth, but comparing ourselves to one another in a negative way will hinder our spiritual growth. Right? Verse 2 shows us something else about human nature. 
that just doesn't seem to have changed in like 7,000 years <laughs> is that we compare ourselves to one another. Right In verse 2, here it says, you know, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? They asked, Miriam and Aaron. Hasn't he also spoken through us? Right? They're highlighting, hey, God has used me. Aren't I important too? God's called me to be a prophetess. God has called me to be a prophet. I'm important too. See, when we take that posture, where it's like, man, why is God blessing that person or that family or that person who I don't really accept, but God's accepted them, and we're comparing ourselves to each other, right? Nothing will squish spiritual journey, spiritual health, like comparing ourselves, in a negative way like this. Like, see, here Moses' older siblings, Miriam and Aaron, right? They're assuming that they should have an equal authority with Moses. In fact, in the Egyptian culture that they come from, the eldest should have a higher position than Moses. And God's saying, yeah, I don't work like the Egyptians, I work different. You're different. Right? Just because the older sister or the older brother in this culture gets a higher status, God goes, that, that's none of your business, how I'm choosing to work. In fact, then he kind of highlights this. He goes, yeah, that's great that you were a prophet. I give you visions and I give you dreams and you got to interpret them. Moses sees me face to face. Because of this humble relationship. There's a little sidebar in here. It's in parentheses in verse uh, verse 3. And the reason it's in parentheses is because numbers is credited to Moses, that Moses wrote this. Now, if Moses wrote, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. (laughs) Okay. I don't think Moses wrote that. It's in parentheses because scholars believe that was added after. Okay. The most humble man on the earth probably didn't write that he's the most humble man on the earth. Okay? This was a sidebar. But this shows the context of the relationship that Moses had with God. Moses actually knew his weaknesses. He knew them. And he was okay with it. He wrestled with it, but he submitted to it. And here we have these leaders, these prophets who are going, no, I want to be elevated. I want Moses' position, right? And again, they are breaking commandments that God just gave them. Right? In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21, we get the Ten Commandments. And one of the Ten Commandments is, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. But then he goes into more into this commandment. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servants, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Anything that belongs to your neighbor, you don't covet it, including their position with God, including their relationship with God. You can admire people. You could go, wow, it's just amazing how God is working over there. God, you know, like what is with their relationship? How could they be a model for me in my own spiritual journey? But the second you covet it, 
Why do they and I don't? Why do they get and I don't? That will squish your spiritual journey. It will squish your holiness journey. And so where do you compare your life to how God is working in the life of someone else? Where do you covet it? We have to be mindful of that. All right, so we got to be watching out for our relationships, how we talk against the family. We got to be mindful of comparison in the family. And then we have to understand this. With those two things comes point three. And this is one I don't like, but it's just what it is. There are consequences for the family. (laughs) See, I firmly believe when we get this wrong, (laughs) when we get the relationships that God has called us to, when we get our relationships wrong as the people of God, there are consequences in the family. Verse 9 is a small little verse, but I think there is so much weight to it. When it says, the anger of the Lord burned against them. And he left them. He left them. I don't know about you. Now, as Christians, I don't believe God ever leaves us. When you put your faith in Jesus to pay for your sin, when you repent and turn to him, Jesus says, I will never abandon you. I have not forsaken you. He said, I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. But you and I both know there are seasons where sometimes it just feels like God's really not doing all that much anymore. Like I used to see God really move in my life and in my faith journey. And right now, it's stale. It's flat. I don't know what's going on. So it's not that God has left, but it's that God isn't moving. And I think when we get to that spot, when we feel like God's not moving, it's not always us, but it might be. (laughs) Like I love in John chapter six, when John, uh, when Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman about worship and he talks about how that God is searching for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. (laughs) And Jesus said, these are the worshipers the Father is seeking. It implies that there is a heart posture that we take as the family of God. where We worship in the truth of God's word, and we worship in the spirit of God's heart. And God seeks that. And when we let our relationships break us down, talking smack about people that God has accepted when we compare and covet what God is doing in other places. God doesn't seek that (laughs) because that's what the world looks like. That's not what the church is supposed to look like. That's not what my life is supposed to look like. If my Twitter page looks like everybody else, I'm wrong. If my social media feed is just as angry as people who don't know Jesus, I'm wrong. If the words out of my mouth are just as toxic and mean and cruel 
as the average person who doesn't know Jesus, I'm wrong. And when I look at me, because that's the point of this. This message is not about me looking at all the other people around me, because that's easy. (laughs) I can point to all the people around me who are toxic, and and this person, that person, this person. There's a whole list of them. But I think what God wants to do as we are looking at our wholeness is God wants us to look to these leaders, leaders in the church. Well, it's not the church. It's the Hebrew people. It's the people of Israel here, God's chosen people, men and women who are called to look different. And we have to ask ourselves the hard question, in my relationships, do I look different? Am I set apart? Because relationships in the family of God are crucial in our holiness journey. See, our relationship with God is so important. And God loves you. And God wants so much for you. And God is close to you if you've actually come to God. (laughs) If you've accepted Jesus into your life, God is with you. And he is so close to you, he speaks in a whisper. He doesn't have to shout at you and yell at you to get your attention because he is so close. (laughs) And the way you receive that closeness of God is just by saying, Father, like, forgive me a sinner. (laughs) When in the book of Romans, when it says, when you confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead, that's what brings God close. (laughs) And if you've never done that, I would encourage you, don't leave here today without doing that. Know the closeness and the presence of God. Know that you are accepted completely by God by simply turning from your sin and turning to him. If you want to do that, do it right now. Just pray privately and tell me after the service that you've done it. I'd love to celebrate with you. But if you've done that, like I have, I've had to do the hard thing this week. And I still have more work to do in this. How are my relationships? Where am I talking against people whom God has accepted? And if I'm doing it, Holy Spirit, empower me to knock it off. (laughs) Make me different. I don't want to look like the other people complaining about other people whom you've accepted. I want to look very different. Like, Holy Spirit, when have I been comparing myself and coveting the ministry of other people? And what God does in churches up the road or in other parts of the country or around the world, and I get bitter and I get judgy. They go, well, they're watering down the gospel. That's why that's working. Oh, yeah. Church planting in Hawaii. Yeah, that sounds great. Anybody could do that. Praying for that one. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) We so easily covet. And we forget that God is blessing us right where we are and what he is doing in our lives. See, if we put those two things aside, then we don't have to really worry about the consequence of God saying, And I love you, and I'm with you. I just can't work with you right now. (laughs) I think that's what's being modeled here. And I don't want you ever to be in a spot (laughs) 
where God's not working, where God's not moving. That is my deepest, biggest desire for your life. It really is. It's not your job. It's not your education. It's not how much money you have in the bank. My biggest, deepest desire is God's closeness in your life and the fruit of that changing the relationships around you. Because when that happens, you will feel more alive than you've ever felt. You will feel closeness to God. Your relationships change all around you because of how God works in this holiness journey. So I'm going to take a moment to pray for us. I realize this is heavy. This is heavy stuff, but this is where the good news comes in, right? Where we read this. I want to conclude with these words here from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. This is what God wants to do through you in your relationships. Where it says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have grievances against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. See, if we live in our relationships that way, look at what Paul then says. says, then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The relationships in the family of God are crucial in your holiness journey are crucial in your holiness journey. So let's let God continue to work on us so that he will then work in our relationships around us. Let's pray. Lord God, I am very grateful today for this reminder from your word on the call to be different, on the call to be set apart, on the call to be holy. And Father, I ask for your forgiveness in Jesus' name when in my relationships I've not looked different. (laughs) When I've treated my relationships the same way that the world around me treats their relationships. Father, forgive me when I have spoken against people you have accepted. Father, forgive me when I had coveted how you have worked in others and not in me. (laughs) And Father God, thank you for the consequences that I have learned. Help me to learn those lessons quickly and move me out of them fast, I pray. (laughs) And God, may your presence and your power and your glory fill each and every one of us as we trust you to use us as images of Jesus everywhere that we go. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.